Good morning. I want to welcome you to worship today. Uh, if you're joining us online, I'm glad that you're there as well. And uh, on our website, you can tell us that you're here. Uh, I'm Pastor Jeff Dadisman, and this is St. John's United Methodist Church, and we're live streaming here this morning from Davenport, Iowa. We're in a season called Epiphany, a season of light, and we continue here in January uh, in the opening stories of the Gospels where Jesus is introduced by the different gospel writers. Uh, all of them kind of have a unique perspective on who Jesus is, and his uh, mission and ministry are, are, are revealed to those who would come and listen. As we begin our worship, I would just invite you to receive uh, the music that uh, we will share and uh, just open yourself to God's Spirit in our place today. for call to worship. Heavenly Father, there are days when we feel we are like stumbling around in the darkness. We are lost and cannot find our way. Jesus, shine your light in the dark places of our lives. Forgive us for hurtful words spoken to those we love. Forgive us for turning our backs on those that need us. Jesus, shine your light in the dark places of this town. We pray that you would shine all over this city. Forgive us, O oh God, for those times we have turned our back on you. That's why we feel lost at times and struggle in the darkness. Jesus, shine your light on the path before us. A little at a time makes the way clear before us. We know that your word is a light for our path. We trust that your light will help us to walk in the way that leads to life eternal. Jesus, lead us out of the shadows of pain and despair. With your help, we will become more than we are. Our scripture lesson this morning is Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 16. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea 
and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It starts with John the Baptist. He, he said in different places, I mean, there are three Gospels that kind of tell of his role. There is one coming. There's a special one coming. Get ready. And his message is, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he's asked, are, are you the one? And he says, I'm not the one. I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one that says, get ready for the Messiah because he's close. That's the message of, of John. Matthew's gospel is written to a specific audience, and it's kind of good to know uh, what's his purpose and what's his uh, angle, if you will. Uh, Matthew is is wanting to introduce the Messiah to a Jewish reader. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, and so he, he writes a little differently than Mark and Luke and John. So when we read Matthew's gospel, kind of put the lens of, of that Jewish history, Jewish prophecy, Jewish scripture, that's the lens through which Matthew writes his account. And Matthew really wants us to get all the connections and then decide, are, are we going to follow after the way of Jesus? This week, as, as I was uh, beginning, I, I had the the thought, why, why did Jesus come to John? Why did Jesus come to get baptized? John is, is baptizing a- after people repent. They're confessing their sins. They're coming into the river, and, and it's a baptism of repentance. And yet the, the song we just sang, the hymn we just sang, said Jesus didn't come for pardon. He didn't come to confess. But he, he does seem to come as an example So why was Jesus baptized? 
And then the second part I want to share this morning is why do we get baptized? Why, why is that an important step in our faith? So Jesus comes to John, and, and I think the crowd had this sense that God was moving in a new way. There, there's some mysterious things happening, and, and there was always this ferment, if you will, of, of just with the, the Roman oppression and then the rebellious leaders, the zealots, there, there's this stirring from season to season, and John really stirs everyone. People saw him as a prophet, and so Jesus comes to John, and, and John protests. He says, I, I should be baptized by you. And then Jesus says, we, we do this to fulfill all righteousness. And it's, it, I think it's a way of, of Matthew kind of capturing that idea that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Jewish prophets, all that has been spoken in the past. Matthew wants to connect the coming of Jesus with the prophet uh, there's Isaiah and all the others that have been recorded. They said when the Messiah comes, there will be one to prepare, one after the, the likeness of Elijah, with a voice like Elijah. And if we think back to Elijah, that, that's very much how the crowds are experiencing John the Baptist. He's a little bit eccentric, a little bit uh, kind of all on his own, doesn't have a lot of friends, a little strange. Uh, a little hard on um, people, and John does that. He doesn't disappoint. The, the rabbis come, the Pharisees and Sadducees come, and he calls them out. Why are you here? You're kind of proud, and, and he, he kind of uh, embarrassed them probably. But we get this sense in Matthew that the time of fulfillment is at hand, and that's a phrase you get as the birth of Christ is introduced in the fullness of time. We hear that at Christmas. In the fullness of time, God sent an angel to Mary. In just the right time, the angel came to Zechariah. At just the right time, an angel spoke to Joseph in a dream. It's 30 years later. And the ministry of Jesus is going public, and, and God has been moving through John the Baptist in a, a fresh way. And so Jesus goes to John, and, and, the, and that moment kind of validates all that John has done, all that he said. Jesus going to John kind of identifies with the mission of John, the words of John, the ministry of John, because Jesus didn't really need to repent. Jesus doesn't go for cleansing, but there is a purpose in connecting with what God is doing. It's kind of like he didn't just step into the river, but, but there's that stream of, of history God has prepared, God has spoken, the prophets have foretold, and, and John pops onto the scene, and, and so you have this stream, this direction that history is taking, and Jesus steps into that stream, that direction, that path, and and basically says, this is mine. This is God. John is from God. Everybody saw him as a prophet. And so as John taps the Messiah, Jesus turns around and kind of validates John. The voice that was heard by everybody when Jesus came up out of the water, that might also be Matthew connecting us. In the Old Testament, 
when Moses was on the mountain with God. Nobody really understood the words of God. It was just lightning and thunder and the rumble and the roar. Uh, For those 40 days was God speaking to Moses. God didn't speak, or, or at least God wasn't heard in an audible way very often in the Old Testament. But this is another way of of Matthew kind of connecting the dots. Remember Moses. Remember how God spoke to Moses. And then Matthew captures that moment where God speaks a blessing to Jesus. And so you have these echoes. God spoke to his prophet, his leader Moses. God speaks and and says, this is my son. More than a prophet is here. More than uh, just a holy person is here. My son is here. So why do we get baptized? Why, why is baptism a part of our tradition? It's one of our sacraments. We do fall short. We do have sin. We, we do struggle with darkness. And we do need John's challenge. Repent. You know, turn away from sin. Turn away from those old ways. Turn towards Christ. And, and baptism is a sign and a symbol. We have two sacraments, and each sacrament, I, when I was listening to Megan, I thought maybe somebody would say, you know, I remember I got wet, you know, um, that there's water in this symbol, in this sacrament, that you have the, the physical, tangible, I can touch something, and then there's spiritual truth. And as John proclaimed, you need to be washed clean the water is a symbol of cleansing for us as well. Communion, the physical, you have the bread in the cup. You, you taste and you feel. And, and so there's a physical sign, a physical symbol for the spiritual truth, the spiritual reality. And all of our, our sacraments do that. In the Methodist Church, Protestant Church, we have two sacraments. Communion, Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. And baptism, is that, that one time that we're initiated in the body of Christ, uh, we're, we're labeled as a, a member of God's family. You don't necessarily have to repeat baptism, but we, we have ways to reaffirm or renew or recommit at the beginning of the year. Uh, sometimes in our tradition is a, a time of recommitting, of remembering, renewing. There are different ways that baptism can happen. Even in our tradition, uh, we, we feel some of those um, unique styles of baptism between different church families, different church traditions, and, and sometimes as Methodists, it feels like our, our tradition is denigrated a little bit by those who believe you have to be immersed and go all the way under, and, and so there's a little bit of family jostling back and forth, and, and so I just want to invite you to consider this, that that we do have three ways of baptizing. Uh, most often in the sanctuary is sprinkling, and, and we just put some water in the font and, and probably move the baptismal font out a little bit, and, and so there's a sprinkle. In the, the early centuries of the church, uh, part of the church was in northern Africa in a desert setting, and so their question was, what's What's the requirement? How much water do you need? And, and the early church fathers determined you need at least three drops. In a desert, sometimes water is pretty precious, but in the tradition of I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you needed three drops. 
And that was the minimum. Now, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that would say, um, you know, there's a lot more needed. And we know that as immersion. Got two, sorry. Immersion is the the style of baptism where where you go all the way under and then you come up out of the, the water. There is one in between and it's pouring. We would have to do a little more preparation to save the woodwork or the carpet if somebody wanted to receive baptism by pouring. The question that often trips us up maybe is, well, the Bible doesn't support any of those but immersion. And we think Methodism, we have baptism light. I want to give you a little more underpinning and say from a biblical perspective, all of these styles of baptism have uh, allusions to Scripture and history within our faith. Sprinkling, what we see most often, if you think about the story in the Old Testament, is there a a story where anybody says to sprinkle something in a sacred moment? We go all the way back to the Exodus. The last plague, the angel of death is about to descend upon Egypt and the land of Goshen and everyone in it, and Moses commands every household, every family, uh, you're to sacrifice a lamb, roast the lamb, and take the blood of the lamb, and with the branch of hyssop, sprinkle your doorpost, and salvation will come to your house. Sprinkling is not baptism light. Sprinkling is a very powerful symbol, a very significant part of our shared history with all Christians and Jews. To sprinkle is a sign that salvation is coming to this house. Uh, Pouring, uh, probably the the least used style of baptism, uh, to pour, again, you know, has a a reaching back to part of our Christian history. And and is, is there anything that comes to mind when you think of pouring out Somebody last night said um, Jesus poured himself out as he sacrificed on the cross. His blood was poured out. And I said, and then what happened 50 days later? The Holy Spirit was poured out on the upper room, on all that were gathered. And you had this pouring out of the Holy Spirit and this infilling uh, of God's Spirit on all in the crowd. Pouring has a pretty strong support in Scripture. Immersion, uh, we, we assume in our perspective as we look back that Jesus was in the Jordan and, and that he went under the water. You know, we don't know other than the movies, and that's kind of our creative uh, modern construct. But Paul does refer to that in Romans, that when we're baptized, we're buried with Christ, and as you come up out of the water, you're, you're raised with Christ, and that's a very powerful image from Scripture as well. Now, I grew up in the, the Methodist church, and, and when I came to confirmation, I had a very awkward moment on this night of, have you been baptized? And everybody pretty much around the table said, yes, 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 and, and I had to confess, well, I don't, I don't really know. And so I go home, and it's embarrassing, and it's a little awkward to be the one 
to hear, you know, no, we, we did not have you baptized. And um, unless you think there, there was something wrong with my folks way back then, um, we, we were in the EUB tradition. In 1968, uh, the, the Evangelical United Brethren was one of the branches of the Wesleyan Church that merged and, and became part of the United Methodist Church. And their tradition was, was to baptize as adults or youth or adults by immersion. And so that is a legitimate part of our past as United Methodists, but uh, admittedly that was part of the tradition that was sacrificed in the merger and just the, the recommendations that went forward from 1968. Uh, since I was born before that time, I was kind of under the old guidebook. And so as a 12-year-old, it was like, ooh, I don't quite fit anywhere here. Um, so as, as we talked to my pastor, um, we, we had a, a tradition in our community of going to the lake in August. And, and so I said, could I do that? And, and I want to be immersed. And I was baptized in a lake on a nice warm day. Uh, I tell that story, and, and from time to time in my ministry, I've had a teenager say, well, I'd like to, to get baptized, and I'd like to be immersed. And in our tradition, we, we also invite parents with young children. And, and when a child is baptized, it is the parents making that choice. The sacrament opens that child to God's grace. The sacrament marks that young person as belonging to God. The sacrament identifies that child is a child of promise. And as we think about that, uh, being a child of promise, it's God that's promising to guide, to nurture, to bless. And the parents as well promise to, to teach and to be an example and to involve that child in the, the ministry of the church. Matthew's gospel uh, opens with this uh, step of baptism and it ends with a call to do the same. Jesus says, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Matthew says, this is the first uh, thing I want you to know about Jesus. Jesus was baptized. And the last thing that he said, Jesus says to all of us to be baptized. The invitation is to identify with Christ, his way, his path. Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And we have a choice when we hear that. Either it's the raving of a human being, the most arrogant claim ever made, or it's true. Jesus was human, but Jesus was also divine. And Jesus is saying, this is the way to God. And he's opening a door for all who would believe. Christians believe that what Jesus said was true. Many find their, their strength from a higher power. We, we have people in 12-step groups, and those who struggle uh, are, are commended to find your source of strength, find that, that foundation that you're going to stand on. But Christians believe that we have more than a nameless and a faceless power. Jesus came to be the name by which we can know God. Jesus came to be the face of God. The world calls us to seek our own glory. Jesus calls us to seek God's glory. The world pushes us to seek our own greatness. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. In fact, he says the first will be last. Our culture calls us to identify with our politics, our preferences. 
God calls us to identify with Christ. Baptism is a specific way to do this. And everything else that we hold on to is secondary. The church knew nothing of of unbaptized Christians at the beginning. That baptism was the way, a sign, a a public commitment to say, I'm going to identify with this new movement, this new faith. And it wasn't just a little step. It wasn't like, here's a little bit of Jesus to help you on your way. They, they stood together as uh, candidates for baptism, and they declared Jesus is Lord. Lord means your, your master, your captain, in our day maybe CEO of your household. I, I always fall back to the, the song, uh, let Jesus take the wheel, Jesus take the wheel. You think about driving, and um, Susan and I often spar in the car, <laughs> and, and this week we had one of those moments, you know, in the snow and the ice, and, and it's like, you want your own steering wheel. You know, I think we'd both be happier if we both could drive. You know, yeah. But, but what happens, engineers, you know, if you have two steering wheels? Um, you know, you're still, you know, which one is going to dominate? Which one is going to be effective? And, and our spiritual life, it's the same. You know, is Jesus driving or are you? Uh, Jesus isn't going to take it away from you. We have to surrender. And when we say Jesus is Lord, it implies that we're seeking to do His will, not ours. That we're seeking to say, here, you drive. Not, not resisting and, and retaining the right to call the directions. All too easily, we identify with just a little bit of Jesus. And we don't necessarily commit to all of His teaching to the way that he shows us, to the way that he lived. There is a relationship of faith, a relationship that we can have through Christ with God. And the person of Jesus uh, comes close to us. And baptism is, is an important part of that. It's a sign. It's a symbol. It's the beginning of just that outpouring of God's grace. Hear how Jesus uh, said to his disciples in his final word, in his final challenge to them. Go ye into all the world, baptizing all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, commanding them and teaching them to observe that all that I have taught you, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.